Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Today's message was given by Pastor Nick Davies on November 7th, 2021, during our Sunday evening service. We have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12th meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our Awana program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. We want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. Life is good. Maybe you've heard this before. Hold your amens. Hang on. We're getting to something different. Don't, don't amen too quick. You've no doubt seen that on a shirt or a hat. Anybody seen that? Life is good. Um, pick on Steve. Steve had a life is good shirt on yesterday. Um, just so happened that I saw it as I already written this. Um, I like those shirts. I like those hats. And I, I don't think anything's really wrong with wearing them. Um, typically, they have a cute little stick man or woman on them and some outdoor activity like hammocking or kayaking or fishing. Uh, when I was looking this up and some more details on the company this week, uh, I had a hard time not adding some of them to my cart and then purchasing them because they are. They're, they're, they're cool little shirts. Um, but I want to start off tonight though by looking at their mission. Their mission, the Life is Good Company mission, is to spread the power of optimism. We've talked before about uh, businesses that have mission statements. Uh, actually, ironically, used this particular example probably a year or so ago in a message. Um, but it's funny how the things come back around. Now, this, this is nice, right? To spread the power of optimism. Um, I'm not an optimistic person. I'm not an optimist. I would say I'm more of a realist. But I get where they're coming from. If we think hard enough on the good things, more good things will happen, or there's always a brighter side to look on. If we look at obstacles, instead of them being obstacles as opportunities, life will, in our perspective, then look better, or as they say, life will be good. Now, they say on their website, optimism isn't irrational cheerfulness, and it is not blind positivity. It is a powerful approach to accomplishing goals and living a fulfilling life. Here's the thing about this. It is a powerful approach to life. But you are always going to be approaching different situations. Not everything is in your power. You can't just optimistic your way to life being perfect and good. It may work for a time. It's not a bad thing to look on the bright side of things, because there may be a bright side. It may work for a time. It may work in some scenarios, but eventually positive, just positive thinking, just thinking about good things, fails you. We'll get to why here in a bit. If you define optimism from the dictionary, and I found this on dictionary.com, it shows that optimism has three definitions. Number one is a disposition or tendency to look on the more favorable side 
of events or conditions and to expect the most favorable outcome. That is the typical idea of optimism. But this is where things get interesting. It is also the belief that good ultimately predominates over evil in the world and the belief that goodness pervades reality. Goodness pervading reality. That is the foundation to the optimistic ideology of life is good. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not going to try to convince you tonight to be dismal. I, I hope you're a naturally happy person. Um, I'm all about laughing and joking. Those of you who know me know that. I like to joke. I like to laugh. So I'm not trying to convince you to uh, never look on the good side of things and to only be sad all the time. But just looking to the positive in life all the time and expecting there to be something good underlying just about everything is really not the gospel. It has, as this ideology has, as many holes in it as my genes do. Ha, ha, ha. Um, I noticed tonight, this is completely off track, but I noticed tonight when I walked in with these, because these are my only clean pair of pants right now, you have a child, everything just goes out the window. Plans, everything. Laundry, it's, it's a disaster. But I noticed that I matched more of the teen girls with these pants than I did the guys, which is just not good, so might be getting rid of these. Um, but here's the thing. The optimistic ideology of life is good, everything underneath of it is, is good, is really not the gospel. It's not, it's not biblical. My goal here tonight is to show you two things. Now, this is going to sound extreme, but life isn't good. There are good things in life. There are enjoyable things in life. God has given us many good blessings in life. Having that little boy, as crazy as he makes our life, is the most wonderful thing I've ever experienced in my whole life. It's wonderful. But life is not just inherently good. God is, though. And that is much better. Maybe you say, what about this verse, Romans 8, 28? And we're actually going to look at Romans 8 a good bit tonight. So turn over with me to Romans 8. In light of life isn't good, but God is. What about Romans 8, 28, where it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. I'm not going to deny that verse. That verse is absolutely true. That is an incredible promise for us to trust in in the present circumstances that we are in we certainly need this truth but there's the difference between optimism and gospel hope we have a promise to hope in optimism tells me that this is the only life and that what happens here and now is all in the cosmic balance that will eventually tip to good but the gospel tells us that we are in a state of decay and sin. Optimism tells us to have faith in chance, that eventually the numbers are going to tip on the side of good, to believe in the natural good of the world that we live in. The gospel is contrary to that. It starts off by telling us that God created a very good world for us to live in, his creation, a very good people to live in perfect harmony with him. He created us to have that wonderful relationship with him. But in the garden, things broke down. 
the relationship between mankind and mankind and mankind and creation and between mankind and God was broken beyond repair. It was broken, broken like some of Judah's toys. God said that man would surely die if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, they didn't die physically. They did eat of that tree. God preserved them in some way and gave grace and sent them out of the garden. But their relationship with God was broken and shattered to pieces. Sin entered the world. Romans 3.23 now tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are desperately broken, separated from our creator before our salvation. We are living in a sin-stained, sin-wrecked world. Every day, we face, every day we wake up and face temptation and brokenness. Every day we face a new trial, a new, a new struggle that may come knocking at our door. And we have no idea what it might be that day. To me, that's not very good. That's, that's not what God intended it to be. Very good is before the fall. But we're going to get to the good, the good news of all this here in a bit. The gospel tells us that due to sin, life is broken beyond repair. But it does not end there. The next part of that sentence is but God. Life is broken, but God. We see it in Ephesians 2, 5, and 6, where it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. As I read God's word, and I trust that as you read God's word, you will see the reality of the gospel is much much better than just the optimistic ideology of life is good. That even the bad news that comes with the gospel leads to a much happier ending. That we have assurance in this life despite the very real, ugly circumstances we face. Tonight we're going to look at hope. What is hope? What is hope's purpose? How do we get hope? And what are we hoping in? Well, let's jump right into things. What is hope? We're going to define it. Biblical hope defined is this. It is an expectation or belief in the fulfillment of something desired. Let's make this a little bit more simplified. It is an expectation that something better will come. Something better is going to happen. Now, maybe you ask, how is this different from optimism? Well, I'll get there, I promise. Uh, hope is, as we have spoken tonight already in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good to them that love God. It is an expectation that things are eventually going to work out to them who are called according to his purpose. So that's what hope is. It is expecting that something is going to change. And we have this because... Well, why? Why do we need hope? Why do we need hope? Here's where we're going to begin to see the difference between optimism and hope. According to uh, P.K. McAllister, uh, he was a writer in the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. Um, I was reading in this 
under the uh, topic of hope. And he had this quote, and it just struck me, so I wanted to share it with you guys tonight because I think it really plays into what we're talking about. He says this, present hurts and uncertainty over what the future holds create the constant need for hope. Present hurts and uncertainty over what the future holds create the constant need for hope. This comes straight from the gospel. Life is not good because sin is here. There are hurts, right? Any of y'all ever hurt? You wake up in the morning hurting a little bit? There are pains, far more than just a little bit of back pain, far more than even the most severest of back pain. There is decay. There is heart hurt. I'm sure that everybody sitting in this room has had their heart broken at one point or another in this life. Things are wasting away. Let's look at Romans 8, 16 through 25 and break it down um, so that we can see a little bit clearer why we need hope. Starting in verse 16, Romans 8. We're going to read through 25, and then we're going to revisit some verses throughout it. So let's start there in verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. There's two things I want to take away from this passage tonight. The first one is that creation at the moment, right here, right now, is in bondage to corruption and is in groaning and pain. Why do we need hope? The first answer to that is because creation at the moment is in bondage to corruption. It is groaning. It is in pain. Why is it this way? Because sin destroyed it. Sin broke it from what it was originally created to be. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A familiar passage to many of us, but do not let it pass you by. This verse is very powerful. Death is a powerful thing. Do not take it lightly. Death should never be taken lightly. Romans 5.12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All of humanity is under subjection to sin, including creation. Every single one of us in here feel the effects of sin. 
You felt the effect of sin today? I know I have. Death entered the very good world that God made back in Genesis 1 and 2, and now it is no longer very good. It is scarred by sin. So yes, bad things happen. You can't look at the world around you without seeing bad things are happening. 17 missionaries right now in Haiti still in captivity. That's bad. That is not very good. The optimist will tell you that, yes, but it's all good still. Look on the bright side of things. But this is not the gospel. I hope to show you a better way through his word tonight. We are all in this world, right? Are you in this world? None of you raise your hands. That's a little weird. I'm feeling a little lonely up here right now. We're all in this world, right? Yeah, okay. We all need to wake up a little bit. It's only 7 o'clock, technically. It would have been 7 o'clock yesterday at this time. This is our need for hope. This is why we need hope. We need hope because this world is broken. We need hope because as God, God's word shows us and our experiences show us, this world is no longer good. This world is no longer very good. It is filled with evil. It doesn't take long to look up on the news. It doesn't take long to find a bad story. This is what verse 24 and 25 are talking about. Hope is waiting for something that hasn't happened yet. We're still waiting on redemption entirely, the redemption of our bodies. We're still waiting to get to heaven. Amen? We're not in heaven yet. Hope is waiting for something that hasn't happened yet. Verse 16 of this passage leads us to a great divide between the goodness of biblical hope and the optimistic ideology of life is just inherently good. And now, it's not going to be up there uh, on the PowerPoints, but um, I should have really titled this next part, How Do We Get Hope? We answered the question of why do we need hope? We need hope because the world is broken, but how do we get hope? Verse 16 gives us a bit of insight into that. Look back at what it says. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be, glor that we may be also glorified together with him. In this passage, we see, and it progresses on all the way through verse 25, and on that the children of God are the ones that hang on to these promises. This promise that eventually we're going to be redeemed from this, this, this broken body, the one he is talked, the one that Paul is talking to here, the one that God is, is speaking through Paul to here, are children of God. So who is a child of God? That's an important question that we ought to answer, answer for ourselves. But we see it here in the scriptures. Romans 8, verse 14, just a couple verses back, it says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. Who is led by the Spirit? Those who have the Spirit in them. Who has the Spirit in them? Those who have been saved. Ephesians 1.13 tells us, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard 
the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Therefore, who Paul is talking about here is people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. They have something different to hold on to. These, these, these followers of Jesus, they got something different. Look over at Romans 10 with me, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 13. In Romans 10, 9 through 13, we have an incredible promise. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You want to know how to get hope? This is it right here. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This applies to you and you and you and me. If you want to be saved, the gift is here. It is free. And with the gift of salvation, you also get the incredible gift of hope that this world is not the end. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is no sinner too far gone that cannot be snatched from the hands of death by the hand of an omnipotent God. And there is no Christian too prodigal that could be removed from the hand of our God. John 10, 28 says, And I give them unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Faith in Jesus. Salvation in Jesus' name gives us something different to hold on to. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you know that. Faith in Jesus takes us from the optimistic lie that the world is overtly good, through the reality check of sin, and into what? Faith in Jesus takes us to the hope in an all-powerful God. Faith in Jesus takes us from the optimistic lie that the world is overtly good through the reality check of sin. Because when you realize that the world really isn't broken, it, it kind of shakes, or the, that the world really isn't all that great, it kind of shakes you a little bit. But with the gospel, there's hope. With the gospel, with Jesus, faith in Jesus takes us to the hope in an all-powerful God. We who are in Christ do suffer as much, if not more, than the world around us. We were not promised that we would not suffer. In fact, in verse 17 back there in Romans 8, it tells us that we might suffer, that we will suffer. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. But we do not suffer in the same way. We suffer with the world around us, right? We still feel the pangs of sin, but we do not suffer in the same way. We who are in Christ suffer. When we who are in Christ suffer, we suffer with hope that what God has promised us will come to be. That's the difference. We who are followers of Jesus, we still suffer, but we suffer with hope that what God has promised will come to be. We can cling to Jesus' promises. 
we can look to his word to give comfort. The same um, in, uh, in the Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible, J.S. Lamp spoke to this idea of hope as well from the Bible. He said this, For hope to be genuine hope and not foolishness or presumption, it must be grounded in God and God's promises. The difference in us as followers of Jesus and the optimistic ideology that life is just inherently good, the difference is Jesus. The difference is God. Optimistic ideology that everything's just all peachy and, and great. There's an absence of God there. But with Christ, there's an all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient God that grounds our promises or grounds our hope. For hope to be genuine hope and not foolishness or presumption, it must be grounded in God and God's promises. Why? Why does this make hope different than optimistic life is just good? Well, there's three answers to this. Why is biblical hope better than optimistic life is just good? Why is biblical hope better? Number one, because the God who makes these promises that we hope in is omnipotent, and he assures them by his own power. We've been talking about uh, these names the, four the past four nights or five, I don't know what it is now, uh, on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about names of God. Our God is Elohim, Adonai, El-Rohi, El-Elyon, El-Shaddai, and El-Olam. He is omnipotent, omniscient, most high God, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, master, creator, and author of life. He is the highest of highs. He is the holiest of all holies. He is holy, magnificent. This coming week, we're going to see that he is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And we can have assurance that he will do this because the validity of one's promise is in his ability to cause it to be. The validity of one's promise is in his ability to cause it to be. I could promise Nicole that next, one, next month we're going to be millionaires. That ain't going to happen, because I got no power to be able to do it. But when God promises that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, when he promises that, because he is all-powerful, he can make it happen. We're not going to get too deep into this tonight, because the whole series we've been doing on Wednesday night has been talking about this, um, so I encourage you to go back and listen to those. If you have time, it's on the podcast. You can catch all the messages there. It's a great opportunity to listen to something in the car besides the sad news that is always on there. Uh, but this is important. This is important because it means that not only is he able to promise something to us, but he is also able to fulfill the promises that he makes. It's not just a, an empty promise. I can promise things up and down, left and right all day. But if I don't have the ability to actually bring it about to be, it's worthless. But the promises of God are rooted in him, he who is all-powerful. 
So because the God who makes these promises we hope in is omnipotent, because he is all these things we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, and he assures them by his own power, that is a much better thing to put our trust in than just, I think it's going to tip in the, in the way of good. The second answer to why is biblical hope better than life is good ideology is because the God who guarantees his own promises and can is holy, good, and loving. The God who guarantees his own promises is holy and good and loving. The value of his promise is based off his character. As we are told in his word, he is good. Mark 10.18 tells us that. We are told that he is loving. He is, in fact, love. In 1 John 4.8, he is good also in Psalm 34.8. Take a look at that with me. Psalm 34.8, it says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. He can promise that all these things are going to work for the good of those who love him to those who love him because he himself is a good God. He can promise that things are going to work out to good because he is a good God. He can cause it to be. To sum these two points up, the validity of his promises is in his ability to cause them to come about and the value of his promises is based off of his character. He is omnipotent, omniscient, holy, loving, and good, amongst many other things. Therefore, his holy, good, and loving promises are sure to be brought about. I don't know about you, but this sounds a whole lot better than just, life's good, eventually it's going to tip in the balance one way. This has been the case since Abraham and before. In Hebrews 6.13, it tells us, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. He is the greatest of greats. He is the top. He has all power there is to be had, and because of that, when he promises something, nothing can thwart it. Nothing. The last reason as to why biblical hope is better than this optimistic life is just inherently good is because there is the evidence because there is the evidence of the saints before us that demonstrate the truth and power of God's promises there's evidence it's all through this book Hebrews 11:1 1, and we're going to look at a couple passages here in Hebrews so turn over with me Hebrews 11:1 1, starts off into a chapter of person after person after person whose faith led them to action and whose obedient action allowed God's power to be put on display throughout history. Because remember, as much as this is a divine book, it is also a historical book and that it gives us the history of the beginning of the church and the history of Israel. Throughout history, over and over and over again, a promise was made, and then the faithful who obediently acted saw it to come about. And those who surrounded the obedient could not help but see the evidence that God's promises are sure. When he promised that as Israel walked around the walls of Jericho that they would come down, they came down. 
Have you opened your eyes to see the testimonies around you? How many of you have ever seen God show up in the most broken moments of your life? Raise your hand. You ever seen God show up in the most broken moments of your life where you didn't think there was anything that could possibly help you out? But God. God shows up. He really does. I hope if, if you didn't raise your hand, you've had a moment where God has showed up. But if you haven't, I hope that you saw all the hands that went up around you. Walk over to one of those people after the service and let them tell you their testimony. Let them tell you what God did in their life. We have assurance in our hope. It is not just a blind hope because of these things. Faith is this confidence, really, that is put on display. Faith works with hope to bring about obedience. Faith is the confidence that what I hope in will come about. It is the tangible evidence to others of what is not seen. Faith is action driven by the assurance that what you hope in will be true. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 is an incredible example of this. So turn over with me there. Hebrews 13, <coughs> 5 through 6. It says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said... <coughs> I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Be faithfully obedient, because God has promised this. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he hath said, insert the promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The question that we have to ask is, do you believe? That's what it comes down to. You having hope in this life, this sin-wrecked life, all comes down to the question of, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that his promises are sure? This leads us to our very last thing for tonight, so we're closing up. We have two questions we have to kind of ask to, to wrap the uh, wrap this up and, and, and really give us some application for how to apply this to our lives. What promises are you hoping in? Now we have, we have the assurance that what God has stated will be able to be coming about. It, it's going to happen. He has said this will happen because he is all powerful. He will do it. We've worked through all these different things about why we can have hope, how we can have hope, we have hope in Jesus, but what promises are driving you today to obedience? And really, that's our second question. Are you living faithfully according to those promises for others to see? Now, there's no doubt that each of you in this room are facing trials and troubles of your own. I want to encourage you to search, to search God's word for promises that you can cling to in specific moments. Now, I would love, would have loved to have stood here tonight and just listed out promise after promise after promise because I could, but we would have gone really long and um, didn't want to do that. We could have gone for for the rest of the evening and, and on and on and on because there, His Word is full of promises. 
that we can cling to. I know we all need a little bit of hope, and you're going to find it in the pages of God's Word. But there are tons of devotionals out there that walk through lists of promises in His Word. You can just crack open your Bible, and pretty much on every page you're going to find something, so I encourage you to do that. But if there is one promise I could give you tonight, it is from our main passage of Romans 8. There's one promise I want you to cling to now. It is here in Romans 8. There is no doubt when you watch the news, you don't even have to watch the news to know that there's trouble in this world. I know all of you are feeling it. I know I'm feeling it. I know you're feeling it. But Romans 8.18, I think, is a promise that all of us can cling to in any moment, in any situation, in any trial. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if you know that God is all-powerful and that he is good and that he is loving, that his promises are sure to come about and his promises are good, If you have Jesus as your Savior, this promise is yours. That the sufferings of this present time are going to come to an end. Whatever you face today, Christian, it will pass. But for those of you who do not know Jesus as your Savior, this is only a a glimpse of the eternity that you will face separated from our God. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, you have the hope of eternal life. Without Jesus, you are going to be eternally separated from him in death. And the goodness that we will experience in heaven compared to the things that we face today will totally be overshadowed. The the goodness of God will completely obliterate every bad thing that we've ever experienced here on this earth because it's going to be that good. Man, that's something to look forward to, isn't it? Nothing will compare to being in his presence for eternity. Ultimately, with all the other promises that that are in the Bible, this is what we're looking forward to. We're looking forward to the day that when we pass away from this wicked earth, we have hope and assurance, and in that hope, by the power of God, character of God, and the witnesses before us, that we will be entering into the glorious presence of God. When we pass away from this wicked earth, we have hope and assurance in that hope by the power of God, character of God, and the witnesses before us that we will, not might. might, It's not that we might get there. It's that we will. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you're spending eternity with him. We're going to enter into that glorious presence. Life is hard, no doubt nothing's going to compare to being in his presence. Cling to that promise. Now that's the one promise I want you to take away from tonight. But lastly, we have to ask ourselves, in light of that promise, we have to cling to that promise in order for this next part to happen. Are you living faithfully? It's going to be really hard to live faithfully when you are getting battered in this world. It's going to be really hard to stand the trials of this world and live faithfully 
when you don't cling to that promise. When you stand on that promise, though, it will lead you to be obedient no matter the cost. And when you stand unshaken on that promise in the midst of fear and the storm and the wind that batters your sails, you will leave an example for others that may lead them to Christ. I know I, I've, I've got to hear stories when I was in college and, and just throughout life of people that, um, that withstood incredible storms, trials, things that just should not happen. But they stood strong, and their testimony strengthened me in my walk. I know that people have, have, have had incredible accidents happen to. I, I think of uh, Joni Erickson Tata, who had, I'm, I'm sure many of you recognize that name. Uh, we got to study some of her stuff when I was in college. I had a class on um, suffering and the gospel, which was an incredible class. Her life has been a living testimony that through suffering, you can share Jesus. When you stand on the promises of hope in him, you can leave an example for others to see. You become a faithful witness to the hope that is within you. I'm going to ask Andy to come up and, and play for just a couple minutes here and ask the deacons to come up. And If you've got something on your heart that is just weighing you down, you need to pray, you need to take it to God. Not only is he a God who promises, but he is a God who is able to fulfill those promises. Not only is he this all-powerful God, but he is also a personal God. He wants you to bring those burdens to him. Whatever it is, it's, it, it's not limited to just physical ailments and pains. He will free you from the burden of sin, which is far, far greater of an issue than any physical issue. He will free you from the grasp of sin once and for all eternally one day when we are redeemed bodily to be with him in heaven. I hope you're looking forward to that day. I hope you're, you're, you're ready for that day to come. I know I am. I'm ready. If you want to come, come up, pray with one of the deacons, Pastor DJ, myself. We'd love to pray with you, but for right now, I encourage you to just bow your head and at minimum, Thank God for what he's done for you because he has done so much. Ask him to show you some promises from his word this week that you might cling to in the moments of your trials and temptations. The hope of the gospel, the hope of the God's word is so much better than just life is good. Despite the bad news of sin that it brings, it brings much greater news that a savior Jesus has defeated that sin that we have assurance in him that he will prevail. God, we come before you now, and Lord, thank you for your word that has shown 
which, which through it you have shown yourself to us. And in that, we can cling to the hope that this world is not it. If in this world, in this life only, we have this, this hope, we are all of most to be pitied, but this is not the end. This is not the end. We are, we are, you are coming for us. And you're going to bring us home. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you tonight and is struggling through this world, Lord, may I, I hope, Lord God, that you would draw them forward so that they might talk to someone who would show them how to come to saving knowledge in you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Man, what an incredible promise that you have given us, God. The free gift of salvation offered to all and any who would believe. I pray that no one would walk out of this room tonight without doing that. Lord, for all the believers that are sitting here tonight, I pray that we would live faithful lives standing on your promises so that we might be an example of the hope that we have in you to the world around us. Lord, I pray that people would look at us and say, something's different. Something's different. And Lord, I pray that when that does happen, they would be prompted to ask and that we would have the faith and obedience to say, Jesus is the difference. I have hope because of what he did for me on the cross. Lord, we thank you for your cross and because of it, the hope we have. Lord, we love you. We ask for a week this week that would be honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, may we be faithful servants to carry out the great commission of the world around us. We love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's name. Well, that's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior and you would like to know how, please give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.